0: run all the way through that time. Yes, I ruined it last week. I think I talked through the whole thing last week. Welcome everybody back to the Hemphletic Podcast. I am Brian Lane, your host. Justin Passamane is our production manager as usual. The studio looks beautiful once again today. I love looking at this drum set. It like shines in my face. Uh, We do have a guest in the studio today. Uh, Before I get there, I'll get some administrative stuff out of the way. First of all, happy spring. We just, uh, for this taping, we just moved the clocks ahead an hour, which is the dumbest thing ever. Hopefully we'll never do it again. We get some sensibility in Congress to leave it where it's at forever. Um, my snow melted out here. The only thing is left is the banks of snow. I did get my Bristol runs in yesterday with uh, some old guys. I got I to gotta ring out to one of my old guy friends. So my boy Jim Cohn, man, this guy is the bomb. He is 71 years old, I think, right now. And this dude is like a 12-year-old on the ski mountain, man. He wants to hit any place where there's a piece of snow that doesn't have a ski that touched it. He wants to go run over it and ruin it. And, and not ruin it. He likes his fresh tracks. But he'll go over sticks and stones. He'll cut people off. He'll do anything to get those fresh tracks. I love skiing with him. And I got to ski with him yesterday, so I got to do a little shout-out to my boy, Jim Cohn. Uh, his wife, Chrissy, I know, uh, one of her dogs won an award at the dog shows this weekend. So I wanted a little shout out to her. Uh, but him and, uh, Preston and Danny, uh, I just want to say thank you very much. Cause I, I skied with some three generations. There was a 71 year old, a 61 year old, myself at almost 50 now and a 20 year old. And the four of us probably looked like the biggest 14 year olds at Bristol yesterday. We were if any, I'm surprised we didn't get yelled at. We were hugging every trail, finding every patch, powder. Uh, but Bristol, for those of you who don't know, have a new trail called Polaris. Fun little trail that goes into North Star. Uh, I love it. It's wide. But one of the things I noticed is Bristol did something very nice. They cut the trees out next to it. So it almost looks like a wide open glade next to the trail where we'll be able to ski through in there's snow. So uh, for that, I want to shout out to Bristol. Thank you very much for thinning out some of the woods for us because You've been anti that for many years, Mr. Fuller, so I appreciate you. Thank you very much. All right, there's my selfishness out of the way. Let's get to the real topic at hand. We are very excited this week for several reasons. Um, First of all, my guest I'm really excited about because this guy helps educate the people of New York State about the cannabis plant. And that's what drew me to him right away. And that is something, obviously, all you guys know that I have been doing for a while now. Uh, so now I can bring someone else on to, t- to teach you, and I can sit back and, and not talk as much this week. Um, so I have with us today Tom Zulist. Am I saying it correct, Thomas? Correct. Just oh. like a zoo in a list. He, that's how he explained it to me the first time. So luckily, it is not me being good. It's him being very good to describe it. Uh, he is from Singer Farm Naturals, which is located, I believe, in the Niagara area. Uh, uh, Tom, tell me a little bit about uh, your farm and, and where
1: you're located. So we're located in Appleton, New York, which is just north of Buffalo on the Lake Ontario shoreline. And uh, we started about uh, 2008, um, 2009. I was a stockbroker and I uh, got fed up with greed and felt like I really didn't have a purpose in life. I mean, making money for people and either dealing with greed or fear just wasn't purposeful. The other thing was that most people weren't following the rules, and it just it didn't, it was purposeless. So I left, and I decided to teach people how to grow garlic, because garlic is a uh, very powerful um, food that is connected to the human genome. It happens to be the second most epigenetically connected to the human genome. What that means is that garlic cures almost about 50% of the ailments, according to Dr. Andrew Weil, who's a naturopath out of Arizona. And the reason is it's not necessarily garlic itself, but it's garlic and its components turning on our switches, our DNA switches for healthy expression of, of our life. And and that's called the epigenetics of our food or our environment, and it happens that garlic is the second most epigenetically, and, and I bet you can guess, Brian, what is the most epigenetically connected to the human genome? Cannabis. Cannabis planting. Exactly. Cannabis.
0: Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't Absolutely. say it loud enough. I should have shouted it to the hills. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and that's a big word, epigenetics. I'm actually going to look it up so I can I can name the definition, but keep talking because you are already launching off, and I love this. <laughs> this is why I like Mr. Zulus for all of you that know. And as I was doing research, I just want to interject real quick. I realized without knowing this that I've, I've t- been talking to Tom now for uh, a couple months now probably, um, and I did visit your site one time on a trip back from Niagara Falls. Ah. Um, I believe it was... Oh, mid-2015 to 18 in that range because okay. I, I do a lot of driving. Niagara Falls is one of the places I would go when I was with the post office because I did some route inspections up there. So I would always go along the lake because I live in Ironequoit, and I know for a fact I stopped at your place before. Um, and I didn't know that till before about f- five minutes ago researching <laughs> this. So,
1: so, so our awesome. barn, as you can see, is an 1840s barn, and when we decided where we were going to put our retail center, we decided to use this barn because it was – pretty well done with its useful life. The roof was caving in, kind of kind of leaning towards the center. And we decided to rehab it using sustainable methods. So we have straw bale in the wall for our insulation, sip panels for the roof. Um, we have solar power for electricity, a high efficiency indoor wood boiler to heat the building, and solar thermal to produce hot water as well. So that's the way that, that we like to do things. We like to look towards the future and say how can we do things sustainably you know how can we start to do things without just thinking about money and you know a throwaway world and i think that applies to both agriculture as well as our health because i think the health of most of our society right now you know i've never seen so much anxiety and inflammation and these autoimmune diseases i mean it, it's just sad but you you know, you know what's even more sad though that through all the talk with COVID, right,
0: and vaccines and everything else, the one subject that got not talked about hardly at all was just improving people's general health. It was funny. Everybody was talking about the, 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 the triggers of making COVID more severe, but nobody talked about avoiding getting those triggers in the first place. I didn't see it anywhere out there in general
1: media. Did you? No, no. And that's a sad part. And, you know, our immune systems really are... are part of our digestive system. I mean, that's, that's where all the action is. It's in our large intestine. It's the amount of fiber that we're eating and nobody's doing that. 95% of Americans aren't getting enough fiber.
0: And define fiber.
1: The fiber is, is, is food that you put into your, your body that, that your body can't absorb. Microbes can only eat it. And when the microbes eat it, they break it down and they produce all of these nutrients and they produce byproducts that have another set of bacteria that come in and break those down. You have a symphony of three different bacteria that come in and the end product is one of the highest forms of, of energy for the human body. It's called butyrate. And, you know, butyrate is something that nourishes your gut wall, your immune system. It's just, I mean, nature is just amazing. And, and getting back to, to where we all have something in common, we look at the cannabis plant. You know, when I learned about the cannabis plant, you know, that plant starts a symbiotic relationship with mycelium, a fungus, and it takes 30 days for this relationship to form. And and from that point on, up to 20% 25% 25% of the energy of that plant can go in the form of carbohydrates feeding the mycelium. So the mycelium can now shoot out into the earth and bring back nutrition and water to the plant. It's like the underground Uber and the currency is carbohydrates. And the transport, they're transporting the passenger is water and nutrients to the plant. And then... When you come underground to another mycelium chain, they connect from another plant. This mycelium chain becomes a communication center between the different plants so they're communicating all the time. Plants are the pharmacies of the world. They can produce chemicals. They are amazing in what they can do. That's all they got to be done is told. And when we grow cannabis, we connect the soil with the mycelium and we connect the plants and one plant is talking to another. And when the Beetle will come in in June and start gnawing away on the leaf. Four or five days later, we go deeper in and we see that the leaves have armor on them, that the bugs are trying to bite them. You know, and I see this happening and I call a guy from Cordell. I go, hey, what's going on? He goes, man, they got the right sugar levels in the leaves. He goes, you got it. They're talking to each other. They're making it happen. They're happy. (laughs) No pesticides, no nothing fantastic fungi. for those of you who don't know is a phenomenal
0: documentary and this is a, that would be a good reference for people to listen to understand what tom's saying further so it's on netflix for those of you who don't know i don't know if if you've watched that or not, Tom. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, what you're saying matches up and all all of what he is saying can be shown through scientific data. Uh, so please. Oh, and also I want to interject real quick. Uh, what is epigenetics for people who don't know what that means? I, want, I, I like to make sure that everybody's on the same page here because this is very important and, and it I'm, might be a long-winded um uh, explanation, but I think this will do it pretty well. Um, epi- what is epigenetics? Uh, your genes play an important role in your health, but so do your behaviors in your environment, such as what you eat and how physically active you are. Epigenetics is a study of how your behaviors and your environment can cause changes that affect the way your genes work. Unlike genetic changes, epigenetic changes are reversible and do not change your DNA sequence, but they can change how your body reads a DNA sequence. That's a very key point that people don't understand, Tom, right?
1: Yeah, so here's the beauty of it. So, let's say I have a genetic, um, the gene for cancer. Both of my parents died of cancer. It's more than likely I have a gene for cancer. Well, science has now told me that's only a 10% probability of the outcome. 90% is controlled by the epigenetics, which is both the environment. And the environment not only includes that, I'm breathing air without chemicals in it, or I'm in, uh, you know, it also has to do with the environment as far as attitude goes. Because if you're in a positive attitude, a lot of people around you, you're, you're growing, you're living, your are epigenetics, you're, your life is different. If you're in a negative environment, you know, your days are not, you're not producing any neurons that day. You're not living, you're not changing things. You know, that day is actually registered as a blank day in your mind because there's been no neuroplasticity for that day because you weren't excited and you didn't learn something and you weren't motivated, and, and that's, that's life. I love to hear the
0: scientific uh, speak of how I've lived, right? So all this reading, I keep relating to my life like anybody does, right? And, and I see, man, epigenetics. I've done a good job keeping my epigenetics pretty good in my life. I've been active regularly and don't sit down. I'm not wasting my mind. I'm always uh, documentaries, nonfiction reading. I'm always project driven. So I'm, I'm always making sure my mind is activated. And so me not even knowing this scientifically or having someone to teach me or mentor me this, I did it naturally. Yeah. And I think my body and my health are a result of that. Um, so I want to get into a little bit about stuff you guys produce at the farm. Mm -hmm. Um, so garlic is is one thing. Uh, you guys also do cherry juice and then you're also into hemp as well. Um, Mm -hmm. but the name of your, I love the name of your barn though.
1: What's the name? What did you guys name the barn? It's a legacy barn. And you know, we feel that, you know, if you look at the past, we haven't done a very good job as far as sustainability and going forward you know, we want to carry on a legacy as far as being able to change the way people think. I want to challenge people's um, belief system. You know, just like, what do you think happens when you um, grow a plant in the ground? What's really happening underground? What's really happening when you take something and you eat it, an apple, and it gets into your body? What takes place? You know, let's talk about the real science behind it now, and let's test your belief system. So now you have more thoughtfulness, more awareness of what's really going on. You know, um, when we understand about the microbes in the soil, first of all, you know, the food that we're eating today, regular vegetables grown commercially, have about 40% of the nutrition that food used to have when it was grown in living soil or in grown in organic live soil today. So let's take that one step further. What do you think cannabis is? It's a plant. If cannabis isn't properly grown with the proper microbes in the soil, with the proper fungi to communicate, you know, and and it was interesting. I was on a workshop with, the FDA was doing a workshop on the endocannabinoid system and the uh, licensing of different cannabinoids. And this great guy, Reggie, you know, beautiful man. His job is to see how the cannabinoids affect the switching on and off of dna expression within the human species <laughs> god i'd love to spend time with that guy i have
0: a gentleman that i've had in my podcast dr harold smith that yeah. he wants to start canometrics doing that exact thing huh. so he already worked with the precursors of aids with the u of r he's he was a professor at u of r started that and, and starting canometrics so what he's doing is trying to figure out uh, he's kind of bringing all these precursors of people out there and adding the individual cannabinoids to them to see what turns them on and off, just like you're talking about. And he sa- says it's all from the genes. He says the same thing.
1: Same thing. And and but the thing Reggie was saying, which is the same thing, is that the difficulty is is the entourage effect of the plant, and the entourage effect means that it's not CBD alone, it's not a CBDV alone, it's not THC alone. It's the entourage effect of how that plant in its wholeness can interact with our DNA. And is it really a whole plant? If it's a full spectrum, is the plant full of life to begin with? You know, it's like, you know, when I look around at our society, you know, what's sad is that, you know, most people are below the neutral line. You know, their bodies are trying to get to the neutral line. And and most plants that are being grown are just, okay compared to thriving and exuberating health. And that's, we have to understand that we can have this same health inside of us, that we can, we can start to create this microbiology inside of us that can change the human experience. The cannabinoids are amazing. You know, the, the beauty of the cannabinoids is that when you look at nature, the only way that the human body could perform so many functions, keeping track of so many things is to break it down into systems. So now the brain just has to go to different system heads and stimulate those system heads, which are called receptors throughout the body. And, and when it perceives a deficiency in one area, like let's say it perceives a lot of anxiety, then it calls on the endocannabinoids to be transmitted to the receptor to balance that system in the mind. And by divine intervention, the phytocannabinoids hit the same lock and key on these different receptor heads throughout our body. So that's all we're doing is we're allowing the human body to express itself in its fullest best expression possible, life. And
0: one of the things we as human beings are doing, which is not good, uh, is some people that are very routine based, they're eating the same foods kind of uh, at a routine, which isn't necessarily a good thing, right? You want to introduce nutrients variable one of the things I've been, I learned, I was a triathlete. So I took in a lot of smoothies over the years. Right. And I only learned in the last three or four years that that actually probably wasn't the best way for me bringing in those nutrients. Uh, because you expressed earlier, I love the way you described eating an apple and when you take it in and what that's doing when you're eating that apple. Well, actually the act of eating an apple or an orange or banana are very, very important. And using the saliva and the Um, you're starting it right there in your mouth. You're starting the process of the breakdown. Uh, And if you put everything in a smoothie form where you're whipping everything up and putting it in and then just putting it down your body, you're getting some of the nutrients out of that smoothie, but you're getting a lot more sugars that way and it's not being introduced from your mouth with the saliva and some other good stuff. So you're actually maybe contributing to maybe diabetes or other things in the long term if you really make a smoothie as your
1: morning drink every day. Uh, Do you kind of agree with that, Tom? Is that what you learned? Yeah, I would, I would say that, again, like let's say contributing to diabetes is more a function of, of, I think, a deeper health issue, which is not having enough fiber, okay? Because I think that, you know, sugar loads, you know, in smoothies aren't going to necessarily do that. The problem is this, is that we don't truly understand how the human digestive system works, you know? It's really a fermentation process. It's not a continuous digestive process. It's a fermentation batch process, just like making pickles. So if you had a beautiful crock and you put all these vegetables in there and you now know that a certain bacteria will break that down and produce all of these byproducts that you want, that's awesome. But what happens when you throw a chicken leg in there or you throw some milk in there or a hunk of cheese? It's a whole different process, and we don't understand that. And then we, under, we, we, we you know, we, we not only do that, but then we also keep the food coming into the body for, from morning till we go to bed. And we're really only supposed to. If, you, if I'm being in charge of my microbes and I want them to serve me, I only want to feed them for eight hours a day. I want 16 hours of time for them to go through their whole process of not only finishing their digestion, but then detoxing the human body, which has to be done. And that only takes place after all the digestion is done. So first of all, we have to understand the timetable. Then we also have to understand how these guys operate. If we choose to have certain things in our diet, we are going to take more energy out of the food and we are also going to create inflammatories. Or if we have vegetables only in our diet, we now have a different colony of bacteria that take less energy out of the food and make an alkaline environment So there's chemistry behind how we do things. All right, everybody. You need to take a deep
0: breath for a minute here. (laughs) Remember, this is a finance guy. Let's just remind everybody here. All right, Tom, that was a great overwhelming start so now i want to go backwards a little bit because sure. if i'm a listener i'm thinking this guy's a finance guy but he's talking like he's from the earth a hunter gatherer is he a native american no he's definitely not a native american um how, uh, what are you about six six foot six foot Yeah. six foot uh he reminds me of my grandfather he's got the hands of a farmer um he's got hair everywhere he's he reminds me of my grandfather and his my his mannerisms that i love him he like mike smitty you're on my mind every day when I'm with Tom, just so you know. <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, so tell me a little bit. Uh, obviously, you're out in Appleton now. Yeah. Where were you born and raised? We, like,
1: yeah, you've done so a lot in your life, I can <clears> tell <throat> already. So give us a little... Yeah, so where I, you I grew up in, and, you know, I went to school and, you know, I graduated top in my class. I was, like, in the 1% in math and science, which was, you know, really great. I loved math and science. It was... Where did you graduate from? Uh, I I went to, you know, I graduated from high school and went to uh, college. I graduated second at ECC in industrial uh, management, which was industrial engineering and a two-year degree. I got a full industrial engineering job after that, but after working for Spalding Fiber for about a year and a half, I realized I wanted to go back to school and not have to work in that industry. It was great. I mean, we were, so an industrial engineer is an amazing field because it's time and efficiency, motion study, learning how to do things efficiently, you know, studying how to, um, you know, save time. You know, there's five points to every job. And if you understand that, you can just keep saving time and money and be very efficient in life. So that was a great background. I go back to college and I'm doing years of college in one year doing 22 credit hour loads in four days and working on the docks to put myself through college. And as I'm going through the spring, I get recruited. There's a recruitment day and this guy asked me if I'd be interested in being a stockbroker and I had no clue about finance. I didn't even know what the page with numbers meant. But this guy was talking about getting tickets to go to the moon. He was driving a black Porsche and I didn't think he was all that sharp. So I said, if you're going to teach me, I'll learn. And after about four months, I realized I was at a firm that was actually a scam. They were not reputable. Um, I left and I eventually got into management, trained over 100 brokers in the business, worked out of Florida for a while, came back. And, you know, I, I just got tired of of not applying myself to something that would improve society or community or anything. It was an empty life. Um, so that's when I decided to to do something that was more meaningful and that was to teach people about garlic cuz when I did work as a stockbroker I was able to work out of my home I was always an independent contractor so I would learn a lot about farming and growing things and I always had gardens and you know chickens and things to be able to keep myself you know in nature and 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 have some sense of a a life while I was dealing with this you know, life, which was all about numbers. Now, yeah, were you where were you based at this time? New York City. I was or? living in Clarence, New York, then. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo area. Yeah, and then just decided after you know 2007, just before the financial crisis, you know, I I'd gone through a divorce and just said, you know, I want to I want to do something different, and I decided to do this, and you know, started Singer Farm Naturals, started growing garlic and. And then the cherries were amazing because the farm, you know, the, the, the adjacent farm, Singer Farms, was one of the biggest tart cherry farmers in the, the area. And they were making pie filling out of all these tart cherries. They would open up this cooperative building that would, that would have all this machinery that would operate for two months, hire 60 people, get all this machinery to pit all these cherries, put 25-pound cherries in a pot and five pounds of sugar over the top of them, and they would sell it for pie filling. Well, I looked at it and started to research, and lo and behold, the cherry growers of Western of, of uh, Michigan, the they they paid for a study. They ended up applying for a grant, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. They put up, and they got a matching grant from the USDA. And now at a half a million dollars, and went out to all the universities and says we're doing cherry tart, uh, studies on tart cherries. Would you like to propose any kind of studies for us? Well, there's 60 medical studies talking about the health benefits of tart cherries. They're pretty amazing, and the main things they do is, first of all, they alkalize the body because too many people have too much acidity, which causes a condition known as gout. It's caused because of the wrong microbes in the gut, but most people aren't willing to change their diet. So a shot of tart cherry concentrate a day keeps the gout away. Alkalizes the body, 15% reduction in uric acid in the first 15 minutes. Say that again slower. Sure. Please, because that's important. 15% reduction in uric acid. And it's in the first half hour. I misquoted. I said 15 minutes earlier. I'm glad. It's always, I want the best information, so I'm glad. Yeah. So what it does is when you drink the tart cherry juice, if our bodies become too acidic, our pH is meant 7 is neutral. And it's really important for us to know our pH. I went to a naturopath, and the guy says, what's your pH? I go, excuse me? He says, your pH? I says, I don't have a clue. He says, it's really important. You think about it, it's really important when you grow plants. I said, well, yeah, it is. So I got urine strips, and you you pee on a urine strip, and you can find out what your acidity is you can also put it on your tongue in the morning and and it gives you a data point as to how your body's operating and my god i was operating at about 5.5 5. and an optimal seven 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 and a quarter
0: i'm going to get some uh strips myself <laughs> and add that to my arsenal
1: yeah because
0: so, I, I just want to know because i want to know if i'm high or low what the feeling is in my body so i can start bringing those two factors together. So then eventually you don't have to
1: test yourself because you kind of know, right? You feel, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, you know what, what health is like once you're there. You know, if you don't feel it, it's like, how can I tell somebody how good you could feel when you don't feel good to begin with?
0: (laughs) So, so take me back to that again. So 5.5, you, you, and then you knew you had to get to seven. What do you think was causing you to be at 5.5 or, or
1: not optimal? Microbes in the gut. I dug deep. I want to know why. I can tell you how to change it with food. It's really easy. Just Google foods that alkalize your body. Things like watermelon, all those things. You, you start putting them in your body, you'll change the pH. Tart cherry juice, number one on the list. So I drink tart cherry juice every day, brings the pH down. But guess what? Goes back up. Why does it go back up? Because the source. What's the source? Dr. Suzuki out of Toronto, David Suzuki. He was a guy that that clarified it for me. There's two different colonies of bacteria that reside in our large intestine. Only one of them can be in higher population form. One are called bacteroides, the other one are called firmicutes. The firmicutes are the guys that were meant for when we had a huge harvest or a big animal kill, and they proliferate when we overeat They take 10% more energy out of the body, out of the food. And they also try to store as much food, and they happen to produce acidity as part of their function of their metabolism. That's just what the colony does. The other ones, the bacteroides, they're mainly veggie guys. They don't eat meat. When these guys are in higher population, they're more discriminant on the energy they pull out. They produce a higher form of butyrate for the human body. And they do not produce any acidity for the human body. So the body doesn't have the acidity source. So then what happens is the pH of the body changes. So first thing that you can help yourself is diet, which obviously I knew. Is there certain types of food that are more acidic that you should watch out for? Well, yeah, you just Google it, and you can kind of tell. You know, it's like dairy and meat are acidic. You know, broccoli is alkaline. (laughs) Blueberries, good for you. Mm -hmm. Tart cherries, good for you. (laughs) Chicken wings, not good. (laughs) Bad fats. People never think about it. Fat. What is the highest densest calorie source we look at? Fat. How much broccoli do you eat versus fat? One tablespoon equals a lot of broccoli. Well, we're all getting food that has terrible fats in it, and we think we're eating good, but those fats are dense in calories. And what does dense in calories mean? It means huge colony growth in your gut. Microbes galore. Here comes a grease truck. And these are parasitic bacteria. They produce anxiety. Did you know 90% of serotonin is produced by gut bacteria? <laughs> I, did, I didn't know 90%, but I knew it was a high percentage, yeah. Yeah, you could eat to be happy.
0: <laughs> I tell a story that a, a friend of mine and I were training for Uh, About a decade together triathlons and uh, we lived close together. So we did a lot of running together and through that process He had a point where he hit the wall right where he couldn't improve and he just couldn't figure it out And at right didn't feel good and and they diagnosed him with celiacs and he realized he had to take gluten out of his diet Yeah, the minute he did that Dan Giblin uh, I'll have him on at some point in a future episode, but when the minute he did that he accelerated very quickly and improving his times, and his training was more efficient. His body was running more efficient, and the minute he cut out all his gluten. So, tell me a little bit about gluten's is for in this whole big thing, because to me, gluten is the thing in society that people abuse.
1: It so the thing is this: the way that our gut wall. Okay, first of all, the gut wall is this equivalent of two tennis courts in surface area. Okay. That's a huge area, and it's only one cell thick. That's all. Think about a cell. It's like a, a fraction of a hair. That's it. Now, that has to—that that is keeping all of the enemies of the outside world from getting into the inside world within us. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we had that one cell, but we had something on top of it to protect it? Well, we don't. Why? Because the only way you get that coating to protect it is by eating fiber. Because by eating the fiber, you have all these bacteria that keep breaking it down, and they end up putting what's called a mucosal wall, which is like manna from heaven that sets on that gut wall, and the butyrate just takes those gut wall cells and just nurtures them with all the energy they need. And celiac disease is an issue with the gut wall whereby anything and if it's if it's gluten, it's because gluten emulates a chemical that allows that loose junction of the gut to allow it to cause the immune system to go into alarm. Now you're running around with an alarm system going off inside of you saying fire, fire, fire and you're trying to run a marathon.
0: And some of the things that are, uh, good sources of fiber for those that most, most people do know, but if they forgot whole grains, avocados, berries, broccoli, beans, and your lentils, these are, these are the things that bring that kind of, uh, even popcorn, dried fruits, these are the yeah. kind of things that are good fiber for you folks. Um, so you, you want to mix, right? Uh, 10 high-fiber foods to help you de- with digestive health. It's so funny because this is out there everywhere now, avocados, right? That's the yeah. biggest craze lately. Um, but, yeah, it's, so, it's right there at the, one of the top of the list. Um, and, and to me, it's about eating these fruits and vegetables
1: whole, right? Uh, I e- cook and, them well, and variety. In variety. So, diversity. So diversity. Here's a – if you think about it, if the bacteria inside of us are producing all these neurochemicals and all these chemicals for human health – and we don't have many colonies because we've killed them off. You know, we should have up to 15 different, 1,500 different varieties of bacteria in our gut. Some people are down to five, 600. They can almost tell how long you're going to live by the diversity of your gut bacteria. Does that surprise you when you think about it? Not really. They are the pharmacists. They're the, they're the workers. They have more to lose if you die because they die. But what have we done? We've thrown antibiotics in there that just explode the whole environment and we wipe species out. You know, think about this, Brian. We could live this human life without dogs, couldn't we? I mean, they're not essential for life, are they? I mean, we could get by. Dogs? Yeah, dogs.
0: Dogs. Uh, I, I I would combat that statement only by saying that there's some people that are alone in life and if they didn't have a dog, they wouldn't have a companion. So I believe maybe socially it's a companion. It could be it's a good companion for people. But the same thing if there was no dogs, a cat could do that for someone. There could be an alternative. So
1: right. what if we had a bacteria inside of us that used to make us get the same neurological feelings that a dog gives us and we killed this bacteria off because we have this thing called moxicillin. They just wiped it right out. It's called El Ruteri. El Ruteri, when they put it into these mice, the mice lived 40% longer. Their fur grew luxuriously. They healed in half the time. They were sexually active and curious till the day they died. And they found that this bacteria produces oxytocin, which is a chemical found in the human system. Which is what we feel when we're blissful in life it's funny because i read something a couple years
0: ago when i start my podcast about a parasite and there's a certain parasite that's found in cats that it wants the cats to eat mice or live rodents right because it'll help it grow and and Mm -hmm. reproduce so it basically um the parasite makes the rodents and mice want to have sex so it lets the cat basically get that rodent easier, right? So the parasite within the cat that the cat knows not there does that. But how about this? That par- people that own cats with that parasite tend to be entrepreneurs and risk takers more than not. Ah. So that ca- I'm trying. To, I want to look up and see if what you're talking about is it,
1: is something close to that. It it's beyond our awareness. So like, if you took an antibiotic and you're sitting here with me. I'm taking an antibiotic because you're talking to me and I'm getting, cause the antibiotic is a microbe. It just kills everything. It's like an, it's like a um, vigilante. It's a hired gun, but it's alive. So guess what? You putting it in there, it's shooting the good guys and the bad guys. It can't get rid of El Rutari. I brought it back in my life. I learned how to do that. You know, that's what I want to teach people. There's a doctor case that teaches people and I learned from him and, and, you know, this is what life is about. It's it's about understanding what we are. And if we can fix ourselves on the inside, then we could fix things on the outside. It's not that hard, but we got to start somewhere. And and a reflection of what's going on on the planet is a reflection of what's going on inside of us. You know, species are being, you know, are gone, extinction. Gut microbes are extinct. You know, we don't need that. Let's work with nature. Let's put them all back in. So you got the garlic and you have the cherries. Oh, the other cherries, the other benefits. So Reese, yeah, alkalizes a body, number one. Number two, in our blood, we have markers, enzymes as communicators, one for inflammation and one for pain that are abbreviated by the pharmaceutical world as a COX-1, COX-2, and they make a COX-1, COX-2 inhibitor by the names of ibuprofen, aspirin, motrin. Our cherry juice is up to 10 times more effective than ibuprofen as a natural COX-1, COX-2 inhibitor. And it doesn't destroy your gut. I have been trying to preach to people to get off ibuprofen.
0: There are so many studies out there about the danger of ibuprofen and... Um, aspirin, it's tough because people with heart ailments are told to take maybe one small aspirin a day, right? So, so I don't know where to go with aspirin, but ibuprofen in general, I have preached to people not to take it. I've taken it very little in my athletic life, fortunately, because I've kept cannabis and now I'm finding I've, I've been addicted to garlic. Like everybody knows in my life, that's my family and friends who they know I'm not a foodie, but there's two things I really default to natural and organic peanut butter. I do not know. I consume a lot of peanut butter in my life and none of it is hydrogenized oil and garlic. I want heavy garlic on every single thing I eat to the point where people get annoyed by me. Like, cause I'll be like, you got more garlic in there? I never knew why, but now I feel like it's almost like an internal
1: thing where it's, my body's calling for it. It is, but you have to be careful because it is a neurotoxin. <clears throat> so use it sparingly. There's also something very important to know about garlic. In every clove of garlic, except for elephant garlic, which is actually in the leek family, it's not in the garlic family. It doesn't have an enzyme, that's why. It has alan, which is a chemical. But in all garlic, there's a chemical called alan and an enzyme called alanase. And they sit in separate cells until you smash it, mince it, or slice it. When you get the two to touch, it creates a volatile chemical reaction. And a whole new compound is formed called allicin just like the girl's name, but spelled differently. Allison has your flavors, your aromas. but Most particularly, it has this very powerful ability to act as an enforcer to go through and kill certain pathogenic viruses, bugs, bacteria in your gut, and it knows to let the good ones live. When somebody gets a cold, what I tell them to do is to take a clove of garlic, smash it, wait 10 minutes for it to get to its maximum strength, then put it in the mouth, wash it down with some water so you don't have to chew it if you're not well, and do that just before you start taking food in the morning and the last thing at the end of the day. And why? That's when your microbiome is going to expand and contract, and it'll have its highest effect. You do that three days in a row, and you will pretty well kill any kind of bug or virus that's in there. That's what garlic does. The old-timers used to carry it, mountain men. They'd have a clove of garlic in their pocket, they'd find. they go, why is this guy carrying garlic? Well, very simply, if he found a piece of rancid meat out there, he could cut off all the mold, he could smash that garlic, rub it all over it, and now he's disinfected his meat. If he wasn't feeling well, he could smash it and eat it himself for his own health. It's medicinal. I love it. Uh, now, I got to tell you the last part about the cherry juice. Please. That's what going to go one, back to. Thank you. The melatonin. Mm-hmm. It's loaded with melatonin, <laughs> so it helps you sleep at night. They did that study at University of Rochester. 20 insomniacs gladly signed up for the test, took a baseline of their sleep, added two servings of the fruit to their diet, and they added one and a half hours of deep sleep on average for the group. With cherry juice. Melatonin from the cherry juice triggered it. That's great. The cherry juice also is low glycemic sugars, which everybody should think about. What does that mean, glycemic? Glycemic means how does a food cause your body to react from the sugar that comes into the body? Because sugar is fuel. So what I look at it is if you crumble up a piece of paper and light it on fire, that's high glycemic. Boom, gone. You got a piece of coal, and you get that cooking. That's long burning. Might be real hot, but it's long burning and slow burning. That's low glycemic food. That's healthy for the body. High glycemic. You eat a piece of white bread. Seventy, eighty on a glycemic index. You eat, drink cherry juice. Fifty-four on a glycemic index. Anything under fifty-five is low. Very healthy. Glycemic
0: index. Uh we are at now about seven terms I have to look up before the next episode everybody. <laughs> uh this this is phenomenal. Uh I have tried to express what you're expressing very well today. Um and I don't do it as quite as well. Um so you are doing it in a way where it's it's comes from science but it's from a layman's way of speaking which I very much appreciate. Um so tell me about how did it come from garlic to—so, Cherry, did you take it over from the Singer family, or how did that whole thing work? Like- so,
1: you know, I, I just went to the farm, and I said, you know, uh, this stuff could be sold retail. And he goes, go ahead. And he goes, I'm busy growing. So what we did was I put together a brochure, and we started going to farmer's markets, and we started sampling the stuff out and teaching people and having them understand about how the human body works and how this stuff works. And then once somebody tastes it, once they start using it, the proof is that it works because they're back to buy more. I mean, we do about a half a million pounds of cherries this way every year now. It went from just filling pies to yeah. a, a full year-round operation. Well, oh, yeah. We're, we bottle year-round. You know, so what happens is this. When the cherries are all harvested... They're shipped down within 48 hours to the Grape Growers Cooperative in Westfield, New York. It's a cooperative for the grape growers. And they have very expensive equipment that's state-of-the-art. So they triple wash these things, and then they break the cherries down, remove the pits, and then they put it in vacuum chambers so they don't have to use as much heat, and they evaporate all the water off. And you're left with this pure essence of the fruit with the water removed. So 20 pounds of cherries, we squeeze it, we get eight quarts of juice, and we take seven quarts of water out. (laughs) So one quart is equal to 20 pounds of cherries, or one ounce equals 60 cherries or an eight-ounce glass of juice, which is a serving. Wow. Taught people how to do that, and people do that, and, and, you know, marathon runners, you can go to the Red Recovery Routine, which is a known... Uh, routine that marathon runners can use to reduce their recovery time in half? Just by adding cherry juice. Adding cherry juice before and after. Because think about this. When you're working out, you're tearing a muscle down. When you tear it down, you then produce inflammation and pain markers in the blood. And by the cherry juice reduces those. If you reduce those, then you can get blood flow, which means you can repair the tissue quicker. That's how it works. Can't get the blood flow, can't repair that's what you were looking to do after a marathon. That's exactly what you're looking to do. Got to repair.
0: And and what I had known, the things I had known early on were I used Hammer products, and there was a post product from Hammer that did kind of the same thing, but cherry juice would have been much better. Uh, and chocolate milk was always a good one right after, right after exercise, but anybody who's lactose intolerant really couldn't use that as a, a hydration method because of the proteins in there. Um, in the chocolate milk, so I wish I'd known about cherry juice because it probably would help my marathon running career. Oh yeah, much easier on the body too. Amazing on the body. What is a glycemic index? Uh, is a value used to measure how much specific foods increase blood sugar levels. Foods are classified as low, medium, or high on a scale of zero to hundred. The lower the GI of a specific food, the less it may affect your blood sugar levels. Uh, so low is fifty-five or less. Medium is fifty. Six to sixty-nine, and as seventy or above. Uh, foods high in refined carbs and sugar are digested more quickly and often have a high GI. I uh, just wanted to add that for people so they had the little layman's uh, glycemic index. It is a, it is a big piece. I can tell you from my eighteen years of training triathlons, I knew very well I could not eat pop tarts or quick sugar type food because I would, it would feel great in the first 20 minutes of that run. And within 45 minutes of any lengthy run, I'd be struggling, um, bagels. Uh, you know, I remember my dad came out to watch me run a, a cross country race. It was One of the only ones I ran, it was probably, I think it was the year after I graduated college and I had a heavy carb breakfast, like 45 minutes before the race. And I know now you need two hours for your food to process to be able to use it for a race. And I slogged through that race and did horrible. And the whole time I was like, Oh my God, why do I feel like I have a brick in my stomach? Luckily I learned it in 95 instead of making that mistake over and over again. But I learned very quickly that the type of carbs that you put in, you really matters. I was just kind of rushing through and not paying attention, but, um, there was certainly other things I could have done to make that race better without training any differently.
1: Yeah. It's great to understand the body and then be able to... You know, it, it, to me, our human bodies are like Ferraris. But we have the manual of like a go-kart, and we're trying to figure out what all the switches are for, and we don't even realize what we're capable of doing. We don't. You know, one other thing that happened, when I, when I realized that my pH was too low, and I adjusted my pH because of my diet, I lost like 40 pounds. And i have been trying to lose... Weight, most of my adult life, I would say, you know, I'd love to weigh less. Couldn't take it off. Well, I go and research again. Why the hell did I lose the weight now? Well, when you're acidic, your body's going to try to retain all of the fat it can because it acts as a ballast to protect the organs in the human body so that you don't kill yourself. And that's what it was doing. It was protecting itself. Now I knew. Change the pH, boom, the body went to its ideal body weight. That's what it's meant to do. And cannabinoids help with that the cannabinoids will help you make better decisions so you're eating the right foods. They will help you be in the moment because the past is a past and the future is not here and it's not real. And if we're in the present moment, then there's a lot of reason to be happy and to be joyous and not have to need anything. Simple smiles. That's why I love
0: telling everybody, like today is a happy Monday. It is happy every day you wake up and you're living and you get to do something new.
1: The choice
0: yeah and it's and it's and it's a choice but it's not just a choice it's a choice for for you to be a better person at the end of that day right like that's the difference between to me people who are just getting by and who are actually moving forward yeah. there's a difference so let's talk about some exciting times now so we've been talking about all your periphery products mm-hmm. we brought up the endocannabinoid system we brought up cannabis for those of you who don't know, there's some confusion out there. So maybe Tom and I will help you guys out a little bit. I know you've read the provisional licensing stuff from New York State, right? right. So Tom and I both have kind of read it. Uh, I've talked to a couple people about it as well um, with some other the processing committee for the New York Growers and Process Association and some other people. So let's me and you kind of educate people a little bit of what's going on right now in New York State. So here we sit, and it looks like the hemp growers We'll start with there because that's the start of the whole process, folks. So so let's keep everything in perspective for everybody. The growers have to find genetics within the state, however immaculate conception that's going to happen. But genetics will start in New York State with the THC-based plants for the recreational licensing. Uh, The hemp growers, it looks like, are going to be the first one to get provisional licensing. It looks like it's going to start March 15th, which will be right around the time that this launches. And farmers that have been in the... New York state hemp research program through the department of agriculture. And they've grown at least two out of the last four years of that program and can prove that they've grown. And if I'm not mistaken, Tom, they could have grown five plants, but as long as they grew those five plants and did everything that was in their research agreement and followed it up with a test, which was just a potency test. All they had to do is spend a couple hundred bucks in both of those years and they could be qualified as a potential farmer right now for the recreational licensing. Uh, With that, they're also limiting the size that people can grow, um, which I like uh, because it's going to keep everybody on a level playing field, and it allows the committee to understand the sustainability side of it. Uh, Tom mentioned sustainability a little bit earlier, I believe, and sustainability is big because you don't want everybody using the poorest kind of lights to grow um, marijuana across the state because it'll be such a carbon footprint that's horrible. It won't really help the industry and will look kind of stupid. Um, so I do like that. They're not doing any more than they're limiting the amount of lights on your indoor growth to basically your mother's, uh, but you can have a greenhouse and I believe it's up to an acre of either greenhouse or outside. And if it's in a greenhouse, you can use light deprivation tarps.
1: Is that pretty much how you understood it, Tom? P- pretty much. Yeah. You know, it's, it's still a little bit vague cause I haven't clarified, you know, there's probably, there's an estimate that there's probably only 200 of the growers that qualify. Um, And, you know, a lot of the guys that got into hemp really didn't have a market for the hemp. I mean, I was lucky because, you know, my business model was to go from seed to end consumer and educate all the way through. And, you know, if I ended up having a end market for it, you know, I didn't get stuck with a lot of flowers. It was great. I have quite the opposite. You know, I've been increasing production every year. Um... But, yeah, the licenses on March 15th are going to open up the window. Um, it's going to be one acre, um, probably around 1,400 plants. Um, 20 lights are the number of lights that they will allow. They have to be, again, using energy efficiency because lights produce an awful lot of heat. They're, you know, we, it, It's great to think about this industry, but we want to do this industry sustainably, and outdoors is the best way. The demand for that will be quite strong. The processors that are in the processing industry already are going to get conditional processing licenses to process the THC. We will also, as a grower, be able to have a distribution for processing and testing the flowers and selling them directly to the public. So we'll be in the first round of of dispensary as well, which is quite great. I didn't realize that. That's, that's
0: interesting. I'm going to read into that a little bit more of that piece of it. Um, I'm excited because I believe that doing it this way, there's a lot of people that are complaining um, regarding how come it's the hemp guys that are going to get to go first. Um, my contention is number one, you've invested the money up front. Um, these are the people that have put in the effort, but these are also the people that understand um, compliance. So you've had to do a lot of things for the last four years, right? So describe yeah. to people, right, if someone's growing at their home, and they're growing weed at home, right? They, they they did something. You were actually growing hemp. Right. Um, so I want the people that have been growing weed in the black market to understand what exactly it means to be compliant, what you've had to go through the last four years so they can see. Because a lot of people in the legacy market, which we talk about, uh, the legacy market refers to people that have been growing or selling weed in the black market. They refer to it as legacy, right? So. Right. I refer, that way everybody knows what I mean when I say legacy. So the legacy market is a little bit maybe mad about this, but I don't think the legacy market realizes what it really means to be a compliant farm.
1: Yeah, and it's, it, you know, knowing and growing the plant is one thing. Compliance is another. We have to file a report, you know, within 20 days of when we're going to plant, they want to know where our seed sources are. They want us to keep track of every single plant with the THC is my understanding. I'll have to see what those regs are. Um, and you're open to testing at any time that they want to come on the field to be able to see what's happening. They have a right to, to have law enforcement come by the property anytime they want. Um, the pre-harvest, when you are ready to harvest, you have to 20 days before you harvest, you have to put a form in and you can't touch that crop till they tell you to go ahead and pull it. If you touch that crop before the harvest uh, report is filed and they give you the go-ahead, they will quarantine your product and hold you until that product is tested or they are comfortable that it is within their compliance. Now, that was with hemp, which had no THC or 0.3% THC. Um, And then the final report would be how much did we harvest, where did it go, what did we do with it, we had to have registered every place that the hemp was kept at has to be on the plot plan, every room, every building that can house it. They need to be aware and they have full access without a search warrant or anything to come on the premises to look at those. And that was part of the process with the hemp license. Does everybody understand
0: now why the hemp research hemp license growers now in the state are probably be first to, to, to market like they understand what it means. Now you are going to have added dimensions to that now with this new program, right? So you're going to have a tracking system that you're going to have to put a barcode on every one of your plants, right? Like, are you guys, have you guys been thinking about that internally,
1: how that's going to play out? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> first of all, you, you know, and, and let's look at it from New York State's point of view. You know, they were thinking that they couldn't do anything this year because it was just too difficult to put out regulations and you're dealing with people you never dealt with. At least Ag and Markets has dealt with us. There's some of us that knew how to deal with the paperwork and some couldn't deal with it or didn't want to deal with it. So, you know, there aren't a lot of us that broke even during this time. A lot of people were 50 or 75 grand in the hole with hemp. First year we got into it, the prices that fall, you know, before when we were starting to plant, they were... Five hundred, seven hundred bucks a pound. When uh, uh, we were starting a processing
0: company, uh, CBD isolate was going for between seven and eight thousand a kilo, and now you can get it for fifteen hundred bucks a kilo, about, yeah. yeah,
1: thereabouts. Yeah, and and you know because of that, you know we we put our butts on the line, you know. So, and I understand that everybody wants to get in, but patience. You know, we'll get there. You know. So in this, uh, you can go to um, New York State
0: website, um, cannabis, what is it, cannabis.newyork.gov. I believe. Yep. Yeah, just uh, and what I'm doing is right now, I'm looking at mock-ups. So they have a mock-up of the application yeah. that you are going to fill out on the 15th. So just so everybody knows what we're going to have to go through. They're not going to just say, hey, you're a hemp grower. You grew two years. Here's your stamp and go, right? So you're still going to have to fill out an application, and you're still going to be looked at. Um, scrutinized, I guess, is a better way to put it, right? So they're going to ask who, all the primary contact information for the companies. They're going to ask who all your members are that are bringing money into to to, to your business. Um, they have eligibility. So the eligibility, like we said, uh, you have to have um, been authorized under Department of Ag and Markets Program, uh, and you have to show you that you retain 51% a controlling of the new entity, right? So you can't change your entity going into these provisional licenses. Correct. Um,
1: And do you know why? Please tell everybody. (laughs) I've gotten phone calls in the last two weeks. Would you like to sell your business, Mr. Zulist? Would you like to stick around for a year and get your license and we'll take over? Because we want to get into lucrative New York business and they won't let us. (laughs) I have been warning everybody about this on past
0: podcasts, my last two episodes. You are now perfect to have in here because you are actually getting the phone calls I worried warned everybody about. Mm-hmm. Um so they are going to go in deep. They're going to go into your ownership structure of your companies, right? So the, the current hemp farmers are not going to all of a sudden, if they had some kind of hiccup within their company, you're not going to be allowed just to go in because you grew out of the last two four years. Um, so there's actually two full pages on the ownership structure. Um, so Tom is going to have to dig into basically everybody working for him. There's going to be a lot of questions uh, that he's going to have to submit files for. It looks like there's about 20 different files Tom is going to have to submit to the state just for the ownership structure portion of the application. Uh, And then it's business activities, site information, uh, growing drying site information, uh, and this stuff, payment instructions. This is all what the license is going to be. So folks, this is how detailed it is. So for anybody out there who really is like, man, these guys at the hemp, I can't believe they're going to get this step above. They're going to be two years ahead of us. Whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, they're only going to be able to grow an acre. They're not going to own the game. Nobody's owning the game after this two years. There's going to be plenty of people who can still get into it, but the best thing for you, anybody who's not going to get a profession right now, look at this. This is a free mock-up of what you need to prepare for to get ready for two years down the line. It'll be a little bit different the next round of applications, which all the 200 people that are going to grow now are going to have to reapply again for the next set of licensing. So if anybody is in this two years and they really don't mess up, I mean, you're kind of on the radar, Tom, right? Like, so us as a processor, we're thinking the same thing, um, that we're kind of the Guinea pig of this whole thing up front, right? Cause right. licensing is not written. Right. So they may, uh, uh, change some of the wording on regulations as they see the program rolling out in this two years to prevent something from that they don't want to happen. Right. So we got to deal with that a little bit as well. Absolutely.
1: And I, and I also think, you know, it, I mean, this industry is a beautiful industry, but you need to be broad minded when you look at it if if you just look at growing and you say you know i want to grow cuz i'm the best grower out there there's going to be a lot of competition you know you got to have a market for that product you know and it it maybe building a brand and educating or 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 you know to me what does it matter if i'm trying to help somebody and they've got anxiety what does it matter if I grew that or somebody I know grew it, if it's grown with the same, I, I'd i love somebody else to grow. I'd love, I don't want to do it all, but I have to do it if that's what it takes and I'll do it all. I love doing it, but I don't want to do it all. <laughs> uh, the education
0: piece of it is, is uh, I enjoy the compliance side of it. I really enjoy the nuts and bolts of building the company, but I enjoy the education piece because that's where I really see the value of cannabinoids in people's lives. Yeah. And, and I can bring it to them. Um, and explain how I've used them in my life. And, and I can tell people, hey, this is what I did. You do whatever you want, but look at where I'm at now. I'm a healthy 50-year-old man, two young, energetic kids. I'm energetic. I'm still out doing stuff that 20-year-olds are doing. Um, and it's because of my diet and my mentality to, to stay in shape and keep moving. Um, and that's all the things you're talking about with everything at your farm. That's why I love your farm. So Singer Farm Naturals, where did you come up with the name?
1: Um, It, it was my now ex-wife's uh family name and we decided to use the the existing farm of singer farms so we decided to do Singer farm naturals because we wanted to do things in a natural way more of a gentle way on the planet um and it's um it's been great i mean we ship to probably all 50 states we ship our juice all the way out to alaska and hawaii and every state in between because so many people drive by the barn like yourself and stopped in there and said, what is this place? You know, here's this 1840s barn. You walk in, and it's like 1840s timber in there, chestnut beams. It's very, uh,
0: very rustic, and and uh, I like places like that. So uh, me, as a, as a traveler, I love the small, out-of-the-way nooks and crannies. Um, so I don't remember what I purchased from you guys when I went there, though. That's kind of bothering me right now. I have a feeling I bought a garlic product because I'm such a garlic guy, so I think that's what it was. <laughs> Um, but I wish it was cherry at the time cause I, I would have improved my training. Um, so tell me of, so we talk, tell me about the hemp products now, right? So we've, we've talked cannabis, but you really do something very different with your products, right? Um, so tell me about your line of products a little bit and how you educate people, um, and why you have such a following for your products.
1: Yeah. So when I looked at it and I said, you know, CBD, why, why does everybody just sell CBD? You know, this, I got a plant here called sour space candies and it's different than Hawaiian haze over there, you know, and why not just keep the plant separate? And that's what we decided to do early on. People looked at us and said, well, you know, you, you don't need to do that. The market's hot for CBD, but I just, it didn't make sense in my head. So we, from day one, did a straight full spectrum, highest quality we possibly could when it comes to growing. I mean, we we go out of our way. I mean, not only do we put the mycelium spores in the ground, but we also put things like oat bran and wheat bran to feed the mycelium while they were trying to connect up. We, I happen to be a Reiki practitioner, so all of my plants get re- Reiki on a regular basis with intention to provide the highest possible excitement of receptors in the universe. <laughs> can, you, can you describe that a little bit for me? What Reiki is? For people. I mean, I know what
0: Reiki I is, but I, wa- I want to know how you apply it to plants.
1: So what Reiki is, is Reiki is just taking energy from the universe and applying it to whatever whatever it be. If if, if you go for a Reiki uh, massage, per se, I call it a no-touch massage. A Reiki person is, is a facilitator that takes energy from the universe and is able to use that and, and be an more or less a facilitator to to work it into your body because we are all energy and and it's it's a japanese traditional practice that they feel emulates the energy that jesus christ used for the miracles that he performed and that's what it was based on so i had always taken reiki and i wanted to become a practitioner not to necessarily work on individuals i do that from time to time a lot of times long distance but you know, for my plants, my garlic and my, my, my hemp, it's, you know, it's part of the routine of, of them getting intention. You know, I believe that they, they understand if you look at something and that's all you have to is dollar signs in your intention, you know, your, your energy is a little different, you know? Um, I get a Buddhist monk, a friend of mine that that's a amazing friend and he comes out and, and he chants and he blesses a crop and, and, we do things like that. Cause I think it makes a difference. So, you know, it's, is this something that's sp- the spiritual side of this? Is
0: this something that's, um, developed through being in the farm? So your ex-wife, uh, so for people that don't know, I, 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 read a little bit. So to tell people a little bit about Singer, the family, cause it's, this, this is a long, long tradition of this farm.
1: Yeah. Singers, the Singer family has been around for a hundred years and, and they'd been growing fruit along the Lake Ontario shoreline. And then this last generation, probably the last 40 or 50 years you know there hasn't really been you know Tom Singer uh, passed away in 2008 and he was the last active member in Singer Farms and then since then it was run by Jim Bittner and the family had owned it and the family still owns the land now Jim Bittner owns Singer Farms um, so you know farms are very difficult to pass on from generation to generation it's a very difficult industry, especially agriculture, trees. I mean, you know, apple trees change like the moods of consumers. So when you put a tree in the ground, it's very expensive. And if you want to change it, it's very expensive. So, um, the farm, you know, does that agriculture and rather than getting involved with that farm, you know, we just decided to start from scratch and build this business and do it my way, which was, Basically trying to teach everybody everything that I've experienced in life pertaining to health. And I carry all the foods that I like to eat in my life in my store. So there's tons of fiber for sale in there. There's snacks that are healthy snacks. There's lots of things that you just look at and say, wow, I never thought I'd see that. <laughs> things like ion biome, which is great for your gut wall and you know, fermented foods in the cooler and... You know, everything in between, we're, we're all about just trying to have you take a different look at what life can be.
0: This is kind of random, but not really. Kefir, it's one of those things that they've been yeah. talking about, right? Because kefir, yogurt, uh, uh, explain to me what you think of kefir. It's one of those things that's out there now where people are talking about adding better um, bacteria to your to your stomach, right?
1: And a lot of people right. are saying that's a default. What do you think about it in general? It It's like this you got to know where you're at. You got to do a fecal sample to send it in and get a test to know what you got inside of you. There's so many different labs that'll do it now. <laughs> so I take a fecal sample and I send it in and I get a lab report and they tell me how many varieties I got, how many parasites I got and the diversity. And how much does that cost for someone to do that? Yeah, under a hundred bucks. You know, what, what, what labs do you use? I've used various ones, you know, and one of them was just taken over by another company. So just just Google it, say, you know, fecal test, you know, and, and it's real simple. I mean, you just, you take a piece of toilet paper and you swab it with a Q-tip. It's not as difficult as you might imagine. It's really simple, and you put it in a little vial and swish it around, shake it up, put it in the mail. You're done. You wait three weeks. They send you the result. It hooks up to a, uh, an app and tells you what foods you should start eating and stay away from.
0: <laughs> it's that simple to take a look at what's in your stomach and what you need to do to be more healthier. And you make a great point. Colds, uh, flus, people feeling low. Um, cannabis, I've always used cannabis as, uh, bring up CBD, blah, blah, but there are alternatives to cannabis. And and Tom said it right. Garlic and cher- tart cherry have similar effects to cannabis to your body, and all three
1: together are probably great. Yeah, it, it it's just realizing that We need to be aware more of what's going on inside of us. Our brain is not the center of the universe. This ego isn't the center. What if I told you there was a certain bacteria inside of you that was so powerful it could make you do things you never thought you could do? Example would be, Let's say you're going to quit eating bagels because you said, I'm done with that. Every day I have a bagel and a donut. I'm not going to do that because I crash about midday after eating that. Well, what happens when you don't eat that bagel? There's a bacteria colony that is used to getting fed that produces a chemical that goes to the brain and causes this familiar feeling. So much so that when this bacteria called candida does not get fed, it stops producing that chemical which causes a withdrawal of the chemical from your brain that creates anxiety. It's no different than withdrawing from a drug, an opiate. You get anxious. You want to kick the cat. You're yelling at the car in front of you. You finally pull up. You eat the bagel, and you go, ah. Matter of fact, it's even quicker. Once you made up that mind that you're going to stop, you finally gave in, at that point, those bacteria know and they're already producing the chemical because they know they're going to get fed. Who's really in control? When you want to quit that bagel, you should get a 10, a 12-step program, a sponsor, and a big book to get you through it.
0: Oh, that is so funny. And remember, everybody, I've said this on multiple episodes, but 30 days it takes to create a habit. That's right. It's not any faster than that, folks. So, this is that 30 days to me is that D word that everybody hates. Discipline.
1: That's right. You got to get through that 30 days of discipline. I have a feeling with food, it's no different, right? It's the bacteria that create the ideas in your head. Where do you think they come from? You know, it's, 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 we have this nerve that goes from our mouth to our butt. It is called the vagus nerve. It is more active than the spinal cord, believe it or not. And 80% of the communications are from microbes to the brain and the body, and only 20% going the other way. There's between one and two million connections throughout the digestive system. (laughs) All right, we talked connections. You mentioned mycelium a couple times. So before I
0: let this sway away without talking about, we need to talk about mushrooms. Yeah. So we've talked about mycelium, which is the basis of mushrooms, but... Tell everybody what you've learned about mushrooms over the years, and how you, uh, either how you've used them or not used them, or or the the benefits of them. And we're not just talking psychedelic,
1: right? And and I haven't experimented a lot with psilocybin mushrooms. I mean, I've used them because the research I've seen is that it helps bur- uh, build uh, neuroplasticity in the brain. I've actually helped my sons use them in microdosing. They always want to take more than a microdose, but. <laughs> Use them for microdosing. A hero dose once or twice a year is not a bad thing. It's a I, nice reset. I'm not here to judge, you know. <laughs> you just don't want to know if it happens. <laughs> not, you know, it's, I'm sure there's a lot worse that's happened. But, but no, there's, there's definitely a place. I mean, mycelium, and it's quite interesting. I mean, mycelium is the energy source of the body. It is the mitochondria in the human body. Beautiful story, you know, about the origin of life. It was bacteria that were sitting down in Africa, and they were just kind of stuck because they couldn't get around. And they says, "Why don't we design something to get us to walk around the whole world and poop all over, and we could dominate the whole world?" He said, "Yeah, let's com- let's build a human being. This is not Adam and folks. Bacteria. <laughs> Beautiful. So we build a human being, right? And the human being takes these bacteria and poops it everywhere, and these bacteria spread." But the bacterias were worried because they said, what if we can't control humans and they destroy the environment? He says, ah, we don't need to worry. The mitochondria are the energy system of the human body. And if we signal them to shut off, the human body dies. That's where the life comes from, the mitochondria. That's the life we have inside of us. And how do we feed that? We feed that with foods that the human body doesn't absorb. It's the fibers, again. Eating mushrooms. When you eat mushrooms, you can't digest them. They get broken down by bacteria, and the nutrients get pulled out, and then they feed your energy systems. That's Right.
0: Yeah. They, they want to filter all through that endocannabinoid system of yours and supplement that cannabis that you have, that cannabis that's in your body. And microdosing is very smart way to to introduce mushrooms but let's talk about some of the non psychedelics right so um uh, lions mane i know you lion's must know me come on what is what's lions mane known
1: for a time no i've said it but you can reinforce this I, I mean pretty much every health aspect of the human body when you talk about all these mushrooms i mean mataki is another one that in japan i believe it is it's covered by insurance to take that for cancer <laughs> i mean we are so far behind these These are ancient medicines that turn our DNA on. They were meant to be with us. It's crazy to me that here we raise all this money for cancer, but yet another
0: country can have something approved as an anti-cancer agent or or medicine or whatever you want to call it in another country that's covered by insurance, which you would think that like other medical um, consortiums around the world would see that, but yet we still don't don't even consider that. Yeah. It's It's disgusting. Uh, Let's talk about um, family. You mentioned sons.
1: I I forgot to ask about family. You you have a couple kids. Are your grandfather two two amazing boys that are twenty five years old? And uh, yeah, I was blessed. It's kind of an interesting past now because they were adopted from Russia when they were seven months old. Wow! Oh, yeah. So it's kind of magical now when you think about where they'd be. You know where they'd be. Yeah, they'd probably be in the Ukraine right now. Yeah. Wow, that's
0: ironic. What talk about full circle right now? Yeah.
1: H- how is how's is those conversations going in the house? Um I don't know. I mean it's it's such a tough time. I mean, I think about this generation and and I feel for them with a lot of empathy. Number one, because we've screwed up their diet so bad they don't have the microbes to bring mental balance and you know, they can use all the cannabinoids they want, but it doesn't bring the true balance. Um, but you look at climate change and you look at what we're doing and you look at things like Bitcoin mining. They're opening a Bitcoin mining right up the street from the farm and it's going to create more pollution and for what? To produce money, you know, and what good is it without a planet? <laughs> I don't get it. So so I feel for the next generation, you know. I, I, It's not... I can't treat them the way that I was treated because it's a whole different world. That's
0: a good point. That's actually a very good point that I've learned in raising my kids is I tried to take what I learned as a parent, but then I couldn't act the same way as my parents because they're growing up so differently. Yeah. I think I've done a good job of that, but I'm sure I can always be better. But that, that's it's great that you put it that way because you can't, Give them the exact experiences you've had so you try to teach the lessons
1: in the way that they understand now. Yeah, it's a, it's a harder world out there. So, you know, I look at it that it's an opportunity and that's that's really what I see. I see that the cannabinoids are opening up an opportunity to attract a lot of people in the community that can now talk freely about something and can express themselves. And, you know, we have these meetings like we do... Cannabis workshops at the barn, you know. And 20 people will just show up out of the blue, you know, because they just want to know. And the most beautiful people that you would never think would even consider using a cannabinoid are now feeling that they can come out of the closet and talk about it. You know, and I, I mean, I've used cannabis since I was 19 years old. And, you know, I felt guilty about it. I felt like a criminal. I felt like I had to... You know, smoke in a closet, and you know for what? Because I was, I was doing what naturally my body does, which is hitting my receptors to balance myself. So I was a better person in society. <laughs> Amen. I I used to, I used to think it was
0: everybody has a vice. I used to think it was my vice, <laughs> and it's funny that I used to look at the one thing in my life that was my vice, and it turns out. It may be my savior, not not savior, but a driving force to a healthier life versus yeah. a vice. And now I'm thinking, man, how about everybody else used to view that as that being my vice? Now what's really my vice? Like, I, I like I used to default to that, but now I'm like, man, I I tried Sleeping to live in. right. <laughs> Wish I had time to. <laughs> I I think maybe um, you know. I don't know maybe maybe I'm short with shorter with people than I should be at times because of my patience level i i feel like um is shorter than it should be at times yeah. that's probably my my now what i would turn to but um and i don't mean to be i just i really feel like when we gather all this information and 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 you try and pass the information on then you watch someone not following through with it or at least considering it in their lives i i'm shorter with that than i should in my life right now and it's only because i care about those people and i want to see them live better, healthier lives. And I know that they're making choices that's not leading down that path mm-hmm. properly. And, and that's frustrating for me. And I don't want to judge cause I just want them to be healthy human beings. Yeah. And so it's tough. Um, how do you, this is a big thing. Um, the state of New York, mm-hmm. you've been here your whole life. It sounds like pretty much, um, do you like the way that they're handling the rec legislation right now and how they're laying it out? from your perspective of a New York state farmer and someone just sees it neutral, but it's been a cannabis user. I'm very interested in your perspective.
1: I, I got to say that, um, that if it wasn't for people that were representing the farmers and the small people in the state, the New York state growers and processors, and I was lucky I got to meet Alan Geldman early, you know, my first year of processing, he made all my tinctures. I had my processing done in Batavia and then, I remember going to a NOFA meeting, and I handed my crude over to <laughs> Alan at the meeting. And he goes, you need a receipt? And I go, do I? <laughs> and he says, I don't think so. I said, I don't either. <laughs> and Alan was a great guy. And, and you know I, he told me a story about how the tobacco guys called and wanted to give a half a million dollars to the New York State growers and processors. He says, I'm sorry, but we don't want you as a member. You know, you're not part of the constituents that we want here. And, and if it wasn't for Alan, I don't think that the growers would have got this shot. And he's looking out for the little farmers, too, because they could have gone the way and said, okay, we're going to let 20 big guys come in here, and each guy could produce 100 acres. And then what?
0: Well, or everybody's forgetting in other states, the medical RO, which we call ROs, the medical companies have been the ones kind of leading the charge in some states. Yeah. And they could have easily done that here with the ones that are existing who can now already, they're vertically integrated. They could have easily said, hey, these guys could be the first to market and said, forget all of
1: you. That's right. And which that's Cuomo might have done. Happened. Cuomo probably would have done if he was still in office. He was, you know, it all depended on money. You know, that's a problem we have now is that... Luckily, everything is signed, but Kathy Hochul is going after large donors as opposed to small people like we used to, you know. But it's our political system. We're not going to change it, so let's not waste our time with it right now. So we
0: (laughs) just have to manipulate it to our favor. And I got to say, the people that I've met so far, I think I've met almost all the committee members. I think maybe two of them I haven't met yet. Um, I really enjoyed the conversations I've had with them, and I believe that they're actually looking out uh, for us. Uh, especially Tremaine Wright. I saw a quote from, a, I think she was a, at a, an event in New York City in the last two weeks where she said something like, um, we want to create this um, rec licensing, and this isn't word for word, but it's pretty close. Um, we want to create this this rec licensing to benefit New Yorkers and let them gain generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that. Um, the one thing we didn't talk about, though, is the provisional retail license that was just announced. There's Mm -hmm. some misinformation out there and I want you and I to kind of clarify this for people. Yeah. Um, have you
1: read through that long document yet? I did not. My understanding is it's around a $200 million fund, which will be partially funded by the applications for the conditional growers license of $2,000 apiece, Um, and the rest of that fund is going to be put in by some private partnerships that will be participating as well. So some public private money as well.
0: So of that $200 million, I also learned that it's going to be loans that are going to have to be paid back. The Mm. interest rates on those loans are unclear yet, but it looks like they are definitely not going to be grants. They are going to be loans, Um, which is okay. But with the new provisional licensing for the retail, uh, they have some interesting elements to it and I, I haven't read every single word of it, so I don't know what a qualifying business is. I'll, I'll lay it out there right now, but it looks like this is kind of what they're spelling out. If you are someone that has been arrested for a marijuana conviction of some sort, you're pretty much now put at the top of the list of someone who potentially could get a dispensary provisional license. But there's caveats to that. I don't believe they're going to be giving people with gun charges and marijuana, uh, 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 at the top of that list. I don't believe, um, let's say a white kid out of Pittsburgh whose father owns a hedge fund and he got busted for buying dime bags in the city of Rochester. I don't think he's going to get put at the top of that list. Um, they're, they are looking out for that, right? I, I don't know that for certain, but then in language that I've read, you have to be number one, marijuana conviction. Number two, social equity. Um, which we've talked about that already, what that means, woman-owned, um, minority-owned, uh, disparaged farmer, which doesn't really apply for the retail side, uh, military, veterans, etc. cetera, um, or the marijuana convictions. That's the five classifications of the social equity. So that would be number two. And then number three is you actually have to show where all of your money came in towards your application to put towards this, as well as show that you ran a business with a net profit for the last two years. Wow. That's tough. I believe 150 is the target number they're going to start with. I read through probably two thirds of the, I believe it's a 30 or 35 page document. I need to find out what a qualifying business is as far as, you know, the net profit for the business. I don't know if, you know, if you're running a, uh, a kitchen, if that's going to count, or if you're going to run a, a construction business. Um, so for instance, I had the funny thing is I had a phone call now with one of my b- business partners, a friend of his who is a minority. He was busted for marijuana in the last 10 years. He owns a company with successful net profit. He owns commercial properties so, and he wasn't even thinking about getting into the game. All of a sudden when these parameters came out in this license, he realized he's actually probably the best potential applicant for a retail dispensary, um, mm-hmm. temporary license. So you, this recent announcement is actually bringing different people to the table. Right, right. It's interesting, yeah.
1: And it's really only 150. you got to think in the whole state that's not a lot. I think
0: they're talking about needing between a 900 and 1,000 for the whole state right. when it's done. Yeah. So that's why the 150 is just really to support the 200 farmers and the 20
1: or so, prop, 15 to 20 processors mm-hmm. that will all get the provisionals. See, the farmers, I believe that's a separate license because as a conditional grower... Part of that conditional grower is a conditional processing license to be able to sell flowers with minimal processing directly to the public.
0: Yeah, but that's basically small steel, steel tables where you're going to take your bud, you're going to trim it down, you're going to put it into eighths, quarters, ounces, or mm-hmm. pre rolls, and, and sell it to the dispensary.
1: And that's going to be allowed with the regular regs and, and sold right through. Yeah, you a could be your own distributor. Right. Correct. Yes. Right, or yeah. I could distribute to other qualified licensed retailers. That's correct. Like I am getting emails from other... Or distributors. Or distributors, correct. But they haven't talked about preliminary distributor license. If you notice
0: this, they've only talked about grow right. and processing right. and retail. So if they're not going to allow distributors to get in the game until after the two years... Our self distributing thing is going to be very important for all of us because manufacturers are gonna be able to self distribute and the growers who also want to process because not every grower is going to want to process. Right? Some growers are going to want to take their stuff out give it to someone. Can you make this all into ACE and, and they just want to make the money off
1: their you grow. Can. There'll be less margins for them, but they could do that. I like the setup. I think it makes sense. You know, it's a, it's a beginning of a market, but you know, it, it's going to take time to roll out and, we just got to give it time, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's exciting. I mean, this is like, we've been talking about this for so many years that it's happening, you know, in our lifetimes. <laughs> <I> no. <know. laughs> okay. You mentioned something earlier that's big.
0: Cause I want you to talk, you, you're you hardly talking about your products so far. So we yeah. need you to talk about your products again, but to <clears> do that, I want uh, you mentioned something earlier about to be successful. Probably in this game, when it comes out, you need to, market your products so everybody knows about them. So you have a strong following in your general area. Right. But you, it's probably uh, in your best interest to draw a following across the whole state right now because you want to make sure a dispensary in Albany wants to take your bud and put it in their dispensary, right?
1: So what are you thinking about as far as that? I'm not that worried about that, about getting my bud in the dispensary. I, my whole thing is I've got to grow the best possible plant I can grow. If I grow that, the rest will take care of itself. If I've been able to do that with hemp, I mean, I've got some amazing cannabinoids. I mean, I, I've i got this forbidden, which is a plant that is a new genetic grown by Oregon CBD. It's got this cannabinoid called CBDV as in Victor. And the terpenes from this plant are just, I mean, they just go right to the forehead. That's the only way I could describe them.
0: Right to the forehead. I had one of his tinctures, the twenty-four hundred milligram, and to the forehead is exactly what it did to me. I wasn't ready for the CBDV. I had never tried CBDV before, and I'm very interested to see how these individual cannabinoids respond to my body. So I actually took it in when I had no other cannabinoids really in my body or or lightweight for that day, and it hit me pretty hard quick. It, 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 fell off quick, but I wasn't expecting the initial reaction. So explain to people what CBDV actually does to your body, reacts to your body.
1: So the research shows that we know that CBD helps hit the receptor for the central nervous system that stops seizures in the human body or in animal bodies. That's CBD isolate, folks. CBD, right. We have now learned that CBDV is twice as effective as CBD it has a power effect on the central nervous system. So not only does it does seizures, but think about the central nervous system, all the electrical circuits, what is a brain? The brain is the other end of the electrical system. So it has this very calming effect on what I call our consciousness, the ocean in our head. The way I describe the way that our mind works is that the surface of the ocean is what our consciousness is, and depending on the waves, that's how many thoughts are happening at one time. The more turmoil up there, the more chaos there is in the life. CBD, or CBDV in particular, calms the ocean. The other way to do that is to go deeper in the ocean, and that's called meditating, or going into a deeper state of theta or delta in the mind and being able to control through meditating and learning what the Buddhists teach and what the cannabinoids teach, which is being in the moment. And that's how it does it. It stops you from thinking about all that stuff that's causing those ocean waves that are just uncontrollable. And you think you can control them. (laughs) You don't even have a surfboard. They're uncontrollable. You've got to calm them down. And if we can't do that naturally, then we use a cannabinoid to calm the ocean down so we can then breathe And get back into the rhythm of natural life. That's what CBDV does. And it's, the the beauty is, I mean, it's like every time I do a workshop, I do this work. And I try to research. Because a teacher always teaches what he needs to learn the most is what I was taught. So I'm out there and I get to learn all this stuff. And then I get to stand in front of people and just repeat it all. And explain to them my observations of nature and how it works. And it's not me. It's just the ability of meat to be able to understand those facts, feel them, live them, and just explain it simply. What percentage of your body's water? 70%, and it goes down as you get older.
0: And, and of, in that 70%, the electrical system he was talking about is within that. It's the water that's the driving force. It's proper hydration. It's the mushrooms. It's the mycelium. All of that works together in your body. Um, And that's what fixes your electrical system. So when we start talking about lion's mane, which is one of the only things on this earth, um, very few things on the earth actually rebuilds nerves. Like that's that's the biggest thing about lion's mane as far as a mushroom goes. And other mushrooms in the mycelium, that's what he was trying to describe earlier is basically is that electrical network is through the fibers of the mycelium is where it travels and through water. And that's why it's so important to make sure we're hydrated every day. We haven't measured that. To me, it's the last piece before we get into We're going to tell everybody where your social media is everything. But hydration, where do you put that in your level of importance? Oh, my
1: God. It's like number one, and I, it's so important, and I just assume that everybody takes care of it. But it is so important to understand that we need to have clean, beautiful water coming into our body that hasn't gone through all these pipes and been squeezed to all these different shapes and loaded with chlorine and fluoride and all these other chemicals So I don't drink water out of the tap. I take water out of the tap. I put it through a seven-stage reverse osmosis filtering system, and then I take that water and I put it into a Berkey filter that drops it and restructures the water and filters it one more time so that the water is back to its original form, like it would be if it were in a pond and it dropped from the sky and you saw a beautiful imprintation of that ripple wave. And water has form, and water... Is so amazing. We are learning so much about it. Water can carry trauma in it, it has memory, it has things that we do not understand. If it wasn't for the super characteristic of water that when it freezes, it actually comes to the surface, we wouldn't have life on the planet. That's a good point. That's science.
0: So, where can people find your products? Uh, social media, tell everybody any, yeah, anywhere, we're any website. Singer websites? Farm
1: Naturals. We have Facebook. We're on Instagram. Facebook has been probably the easiest for me to negotiate with. We're going to be doing more on uh, YouTube. I have a channel, Singer Farm Naturals, and I've got a couple lectures on gut health and CBD, THC, uh, the difference between the two. I like to use a lot of pictures so people can understand how our body works because it's amazing how nature has built us. And if we understand the architecture and we understand the tools and we read the manual or, or learn the manual of how to operate this human body, you know, how is it that here I am 66 years old and I feel today better than I did when I was in my forties. And it's because I now understand the architecture of how this system, the body works, the role the microbes play, the role the cannabinoids play all of these things it's not that difficult but test it try to figure out well, what is your belief system where'd you get it? Let's test it let's let's challenge it.
0: I didn't know about the YouTube channel so I am definitely gonna follow that and watch some of your content. There's plenty of resources to, to see Tom's stuff. Singer, uh, what, what drive from Rochester to Niagara Falls would pass by your building? Is it Route 18? Is that what you're Route on? 18,
1: yeah, right along the lake there. Beautiful, historic Route 18. Right outside of the town of Newfane, Alcott. Alcott's like a fishing destination up there, and we're like three miles east of Alcott.
0: It is a beautiful area up there. I used to have a cottage up at Cuckville, which is right at the end of the uh, throughway, or excuse me, the parkway before it turns over to Route 18. And so, my favorite drive from Orandaquay up by the lake to Niagara Falls when I would go would be Route 18. So, that's actually my favorite drive between Rochester and Niagara Falls. And then you go right up the Niagara River kind of to Niagara Falls. Um, So, I know I've passed by your place many times in that farm. Uh, It is one of the best drives in New York State for anybody who hasn't done it um coming back from route 90s buffalo great if you're in a hurry but if you're not take route 18 because there are a couple little towns there there's a town that used to have a small like amusement park at it i don't even remember the name of the town that might be the one the fishing town you're talking in
1: allcott Alcott. the carousel in yeah there. okay yeah yeah, yeah they got a carousel and we're open seven days a week all year long i mean it's we have and such demand for our cherry juice and our products we're there for people
0: Cherry juice, you got garlic, you have hemp products, uh, and soon, uh, maybe THC products. Did, are you going to go for a micro license since you have such a good following up there? Are you considering yeah, that?
1: And, um, what we do is we try to teach the community how to use it. So we've been passing a lot of joints out to people just to, to let them, we can do that. And we want people to know that there's nothing to be ashamed of it. Um, uh it's, it's legal to do that in the state. We don't tie it to any other sales. We just want it very simply that we don't have to be in a closet anymore to take a toke.
0: And you also don't need $5 back from that because you know the benefit of those people getting that. And, uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a
1: relationship you're, you're establishing. Oh my God. I, I view that my life is such a gift because I'm surrounded with so many people that inspire me to help them. And they, they admire what I do and I love doing it. And it, it's much more than making money for people in a stock market. You know, it's, we dealt with greed and fear my whole life, you know, and now I get to deal with love and compassion. Amen.
0: Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to drive all out here to the studio and be here with me. So so thank you, Tom. Uh, I know you and I, our relationship will carry on as we work together in many different ways. But I thank you for the information you just passed on to everybody listening to the podcast. Cause I hope everybody takes it home maybe changes your diet a little bit, or if at the very least, look up some of the stuff that I looked up while I was talking to Tom and apply it to your life. But uh, from Justin, from myself, from Tom, uh, happy spring. Tom, you got anything, last notes for people to leave as the springtime's coming and we got the rec licensing. Any,
1: anything you want to leave people with? I just wish everybody the best uh, life they could possibly have with full expression and enjoy your cannabinoids now that you can. Talk to you soon, folks. Thank you.